Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.
Today is Monday, March 9, 2020. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, Mike Bloomberg drops $2 million on Collective Pack. We'll explain where he wants to register 500,000 African Americans in battleground states. Big endorsements roll in. Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. backs uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, they endorse Joe Biden. Also, a recent study shows that more black people plan to vote in 2020 than in 2016. Coronavirus is still in the news. Stock market crashes. Donald Trump is still clueless. He says everything is fine, even while cases of the virus are increasing all across the country. Also, black women are disproportionately affected by lack of health care. We'll talk about Bernie Sanders' plan for that. Also, Jeremy Irons' uh, case is overturned. That's the brother that Maya Moore, she stepped away from her ca her career in the WNBA to fight for. And y'all, wait till you see this little black boy who gives it to cops who thought he was stealing in a store. Mm, but he wasn't. And seriously, what's up with y'all people who hating on those of us who like sugar on grits? Go to hell with all that damn salt on the grids. That's why y'all got hypertension right now. It's time to bring the funk on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Folks, the breaking news, Michelle E. Banks, longtime CEO of Essence Magazine, has uh, stepped down. Uh, uh, just a few moments ago, uh, we got the press release that went out uh, all across the country via Business Wire uh, that she is stepping down after nearly 20 years uh, as CEO. Um, this is, if you go to my iPad, uh, Henry, this is the quote uh, in the Business Wire press release. When I joined Essence, I could not have imagined this extraordinary journey and how it would transform me as a person and as a leader. Leader. I will always be grateful for the opportunity, but most importantly, for the impact that Essence continues to have on tens of millions of black women globally. Since I began, my priority has been to position Essence for its next phase, and we've done that. The brand has been reestablished as 100% black owned and is well positioned for continued success through what is a remarkable time of transformation and reinvention. Now, Rishi Ludennis, uh, the brother who uh, took control and purchased uh, Essence, will operate uh, as the uh, CEO uh, in the interim. Uh, according to this statement, uh, she is going to transition uh, to a, uh, a position as uh, on the board of Essence Ventures, which is the parent company of Essence. Now, when Michelle Ebanes took over uh, as CEO, uh, folks, Essence was facing a dire future. Many people thought it was not going to survive. Uh, in fact, when Time, uh, Time Inc. Uh, owned it, uh, what happened, well, of course, uh, Ed Lewis and a number of other people sold 49% of the magazine uh, to Time uh, Warner, then they sold the remainder of the magazine. Well, uh, the Essence Music Festival was losing tons of money, and they ordered Michelle to fix it, or they were going to shut the festival down. Well, they 
turn that thing around. And of course, now it is the biggest profit generator. In fact, Essence makes more money off of the Essence Festival than they actually do uh, the magazine. And so they are now, uh, of course, moving towards their 50th anniversary, just celebrated their big anniversary of the Essence Music Festival. And so again, uh, the big news uh, that uh, Michelle Ebanks uh, is stepping down as CEO. Uh, I did a chat with her uh, just before I came on the air. And so uh, she's gonna take a little breather. But again, this is um, uh, a big news there. Uh, again, she's been there, been running it since 2001. Uh, and of course, as we know, the Essence Festival of Culture has, is the largest um, cultural music entertainment uh, event, the world's largest, and not only that, responsible for an impact of $4 billion in economic impact on New Orleans and Louisiana since it started. And so it's held every 4th of July. And so Michelle Ebanks uh, stepping down as CEO of Essence. And so we'll have more news on that uh, as it develops. All right, folks, let's talk politics, uh, where it was a big day in, in big weekend in endorsements. Today, uh, Senator Kamala Harris, as well as Senator Cory Booker, both of them stepped out to, enjoy, to endorse Joe Biden. Here is what Harris had to say. I have decided that I am with great enthusiasm going to endorse Joe Biden for president of the United States. I believe in Joe. I really believe in him and I have known him for a long time. One of the things that we need right now is we need a leader who really does care about the people and who can therefore unify the people. And I believe Joe can do that. Um, I am supporting Joe because I believe that he is a man who has lived his life with great dignity um, he is a, a, a public servant who has always worked for the best of who we are as a nation, and we need that right now. There is so much at stake in this election, guys. So join me in supporting Joe, and let's get this done. A lot of people have not forgotten when Senator Kamala Harris, uh, of course, went after Vice President Joe Biden during the debates last year when it came to his position on busing. Supporters of Sanders have been making that point uh, all the day uh, with those videos. Also receiving his endorsement today is Senator Cory Booker. This is what he had to say. Well, look, it's a time for us to beat Donald Trump. And it became very clear to me that Joe Biden is the right person to do that. We have to unify and show our strength. And I think this Tuesday could be a, a, just a pivotal day in our primary progr progress. Uh, but it's about time we start uh, unifying as a party and begin the, uh, the, the work uh, to beat Donald Trump and, frankly, uh, save our nation, humanity, uh, address uh, our common cause and our, our common challenges. Well, all right, folks, uh, over the weekend, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders got the endorsement of Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. They were campaigning yesterday in Michigan. That is a huge pivotal state for uh, Senator Sanders. They vote tomorrow. He is investing a whole lot uh, in trying to capture Michigan. Remember, he blew off uh, a major speech in Mississippi. Uh, they pretty much are ceding that state uh, to uh, Vice President Joe Biden, who is up more than 50 points there. Remember, he lost Mississippi to Hillary Clinton uh, by an 83 to 16 margin in 2016. The Biden folks want to top that. We'll certainly see what happens. Uh, folks, do we have uh, anything of Reverend Jackson uh, talking about his endorsement of Sanders? Okay, go ahead and run it. I stand with Bernie Sanders today because he stood with me. I stand with him because he never lost his taste for justice for the people. I stand with him because he stands with you. Thank you, Jesse! 
All right, folks, again, they were yesterday uh, in Michigan where they were campaigning. Uh, don't forget, when we were uh, broadcasting live from the Congressional Black Caucus emergency uh, meeting, uh, Reverend Jackson, we talked about uh, Senator Bernie Sanders. Here's what he had to say. Of course, uh, campaign for you. Uh, and so do you believe uh, the internal Democratic Party critics who say that he is too much of a socialist uh, to run against Donald Trump, that he can't be the standard bearer for the Democrats uh, in November? The language, the language socialism is a problem. You know, interstate highways are social, airport, seaport, social, military, social, penitentiary, social. So we're all social Democrats, or social Republicans. So what you're saying is that he would probably, do you think he'd be faring better if he was not a self-proclaimed socialist, Absolutely. but simply advocated the issues? The, 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 the language that starts who he is. Uh, interstate highways are not private. All these new airports around the country, they're not private. The, the seaports, you, you, uh, you uh, dig in and, and create ports, they're not private. So we're essentially a public sector economy uh, and, and with private contracts. So Bernie is going to have a good run, but I, I want to see how he and Libby Warren fare out. All right. Also, tell me about real quick this lawsuit Rainbow Push is filed. All right, folks, uh, let's go to our panel right now. Joining us is Eugene Craig, uh, of course, the Eugene Craig organization, Robert Patillo, executive director, Rainbow Push Coalition, Peach Tree Street Project. Is that name long enough? Yep. All right. So uh, <laughs> let's talk about these endorsements here. Of course, uh, you have Biden, who gets Harris, who gets Bi who gets uh, Cory Booker, uh, Bernie Sanders, who gets uh, Reverend Jackson. Of course, Sanders endorsed Reverend Jackson back uh, in his 88 campaign. Um, people say endorsements don't matter. Mm, we're now seeing, uh, of course, because of Jim Clyburn, endorsements do matter. Uh, they absolutely matter. Um, you know, I like the way Kamala handled it. You know, she weighed, you know, everything, including, uh, you know. The, at the time, you know, there were two ladies left in the race with Amy Klobuchar and uh, Elizabeth Warren, and she didn't want to be the, the one to put her finger on the scale and kill their campaigns uh, with her endorsement of Biden. But her endorsements matter. You know, they're going to be in Michigan together tonight, and uh, I think they're Mississippi together yesterday. And, uh, you know, and, and I think, you know, she's going to be a powerful surrogate, and she's going to be a powerful uh, addition to the Biden team. Uh, Robert, again, we talk about uh, how crucial endorsements are. Uh, clearly, they are mattering when it comes to, especially in places where Biden does, does not necessarily have to actually uh, campaign. Uh, he did not have a lot of money. Of course, money is now coming in, uh, but we're seeing the value of endorsements. Well, well not just are we seeing the value of endorsements. We're seeing the value of the personal relationships in politics. What we saw from Biden was, uh, despite other candidates running more as Bloomberg spending, you know, half a billion dollars, uh, Biden was winning in states where he had never actually gone to because yeah. of the support he had behind him. Uh, particularly the uh, Michigan is important because the sitting governor of Michigan has endorsed Joe Biden, and that's why it was so important for Bernie Sanders to get the endorsement of Reverend Jackson because the Sanders campaign has a very na narrow path to victory right now, and it goes through the industrial Midwest. He's already ceded the South to Joe Biden. He's not campaigning in Mississippi. He canceled his rallies in Missouri. Um, coming up on the 17th, we see that he's down 50 points in Florida. Uh, he's down 40-plus <laughs> points in Georgia right now. So those are the big, delegate-rich 
states that are coming up, and he has ceded that territory to Joe Biden. Uh, for that for that reason, it's important that Bernie Sanders has to win or, um, or at least have a very tight race in Michigan for 123 delegates. Thereafter, he has to win Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, all the way through the industrial Midwest in order to have a be neck and neck with him uh, delegate-wise because he's given up on the South. What's so it's out? crucially important for him to do so. I want to bring in Avis Jones DeWeaver, of course, political analyst Avis. Uh, Bernie Sanders not doing well with black voters. No. He desperately is hoping Reverend Jackson can help him in some way uh, when it comes to black voters. Yeah, he's hoping that, but it's a hope and a prayer, and it's not going to work. Um, you know, he, here's the reality. As Robert just so well put, there's just not a relationship there, and there's not even an attempt to build a relationship there. I mean, if you look at what happened in terms of being noticeably uh, the only presidential candidate that didn't show up for the 55th anniversary of Selma, uh, once again, uh, not going canceling his, his Mississippi rally at the last minute, uh, supposedly uh, having a speech on race, but then deciding he didn't want to have the speech on race. <laughs> Instead, <laughs> he just will go just listen to the black folks talk. You know, so there doesn't seem to be any effort. I agree that he's just kind of seeded that ground. Uh, and he's basically said, I'm going to go all in on the whitest of white uh, vote and hope that I can make that them come out for me in mass. It hasn't worked yet, and I don't think it's going to work in the future. Joining us live right now through Jesse Jackson Sr. Reverend, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered. Reverend, are you there? Reverend Jackson? Reverend, are you there? Reverend Jackson, are you there? All right, folks, let me know when Reverend's on the phone line. Eugene, go in with your comment. Yeah, my thing is this. Um, the Sanders campaign essentially probably going to be done after the, this month. Um, look, just looking at the map, uh, if he sees... This month? Yeah. Dude, well, the, if the, he the, gets the, smoked if, tomorrow... If he gets smoked... Here's the deal. It's over. Sanders has put... He has pushed all the chips to the middle of the table in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. He has been making the argument that I can turn out disaffected white voters. Mm -hmm. I can turn out young voters. That hasn't happened. So now the question is... You get blown out in Michigan. What, like, what, what, like, what, 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 I'm trying to figure out what is the pathway. Hold on, hold on. Finish your point, then Robert. Look, after tomorrow, okay, let's say he comes out limping after tomorrow, right? He gets a couple delegates out of Michigan and maybe, you know, some out of Washington State, right? Next week is Florida, and then the week after that is Georgia. And if he's already seeded those two states, those delegate-rich states, you know, he has nowhere else to go. Arizona's on that, on, on that same time frame. I mean, he literally has nowhere else to go. And before, and by the time he gets to the end of April, where you have New York, Maryland, and, and Delaware, and a couple in Pennsylvania, you know, those, those Democrat parties are all dominated by black folk. Uh, Robert, he is, uh, Biden has opened a double-digit lead nationally. He's now opened a double-digit lead in Michigan. And he is now leading in the polling in Washington state, a state that Sanders crushed Hillary Clinton in in 2016. Well, let's look at the, and as I said, uh, Bernie has a narrow path through the industrial Midwest. Let's remember that Bernie has picked up much of what Reverend Jackson ran on in 1984. Mm -hmm. So many of his agenda items, you can actually look at Reverend Jackson's agenda from the uh, from the 84 campaign, mm -hmm. and there's a d d direct genetic tie between those. And I do think that uh, you have to push this argument and make African, -Amer uh, African American voters understand that, look, it's not this big, scary idea of socialism. Rather, 
is making sure that we have a government that works for all of us. The auto industry was uh, was socialist when they needed a government bailout. Wall Street was socialist when they needed a government bailout. So it's important to make those points to people. But for uh, for Bernie to win, giving up on the South, he has to hit those industrial Midwest states which have not gone yet. With but he has population. to win them. He has to win all of them. So, so he, the point is, so, if he if he loses Michigan tomorrow, it's uh, over. even if he loses Michigan tomorrow, if it's a tight race, because remember there's still 3.5 million votes in California that have not been allocated. There are, are votes that have not been uh, counted right. and delegates that have not been allocated. So he has a path where if it's close to Michigan, he wraps up in California in two weeks when the final vote comes in. But, if, goes, but, but if Joe Biden wins by double digits in Michigan? Blows out of Mississippi. He, he, no, let's say let's say yeah, set, he, ten, let's say he wins by ten points. Th then Bernie is going to need a <laughs> blowout somewhere else. He's going to need a blowout in Ohio or Pennsylvania. But he hasn't achieved that. it. He hasn't achieved it yet. But but he has to get there. But this two is, weeks. The calendar is. One, 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 one second. Finish. Yeah. Two weeks ago, we all thought Joe Biden was dead. We all had already buried him and uh, had already anointed Bernie Sanders. So things work fast in his political system. So he's just uh, so staying in the race and having a blowout in either Pennsylvania, Ohio, or uh, having a good showing in New York or Maryland, there's still a path to victory for Bernie. Well, on, a, on, on the phone line now is Reverend Jackson. Reverend Jackson, you there? Yes, Ron. How are you rolling? Uh, I'm glad to talk to you, sir. A couple uh, About a month ago, when we had the CBC emergency uh, meeting, you said that uh, the tag socialist is going to be a problem for Senator Bernie Sanders. You endorsed him uh, yesterday. How, how does he, first of all, before we even get to a general election, how did he make that argument? Uh, how does he uh, move forward in this race when uh, you see uh, Vice President Joe Biden bringing on, uh, um, you know, lots of heat, did very well on Super Tuesday. Uh, the newest poll shows that uh, Biden is doing uh, up on Sanders in Michigan, while Sanders has made Michigan a major, major uh, tent pole or, or a major stand for his campaign. And you know, uh, when Roosevelt came to the Economic Bill of Rights, Social Security, they called him a communist, called him a bunch of nasty names. But I can't say a job and income for everybody to call him names so that in terms of does not what, what I'm concerned about is that blacks voting for Biden they had a public demand of agenda items from him. Uh, the absence of Trump is not the presence of justice. Uh, we need to be, whether you're with Biden or with Bernie, the constitutional right to vote must be dealt with. The wealth tax, which is fit to be announced to HBCUs, the comprehensive health care bill, uh, a black woman on the Supreme Court, a black woman vice president. He should matter that, in other words, we've been the firewall. The firewall has some demands it, it must make, the Republican. Reverend, one of the issues, though, that Senator Sanders has had very difficult in this election, just like 2016, trying to attract black support. Uh, he gave an interview with Rachel Maddow where he said that, look, in 2016, he was running against Hillary Clinton, uh, whose husband was hugely popular. Now here you have in 2020. Um, uh, what must he do uh, to turn his fortunes around with black voters? You know, in, in Iowa, New Hampshire, uh, Biden had some white voters <laughs> in terms of that, that dimension of the rules. I'm, I'm saying to you is that our agenda must be a public agenda. Right. But who wins? We, we don't know. If we're the firewall, what is the firewall again? In slavery, in, in, in Lincoln, use the firewall to vote for the But out of that, the Emancipation Proclamation. What if we, if we say to Biden, what, what do we get out of the deal? Is my question. 
Well, that's a question that a lot of people are certainly uh, asking, uh, and then we'll be, uh, of course, uh, demanding those very questions as well. Um, Reverend Jackson, we certainly yeah, appreciate it. He's not reading the promises. Huh? He's not reading the promises. Right. Uh, to break. So a black woman on the Supreme Court is reasonable. It was his legislation that got Clarence Thomas in the court in the first place. Uh, a black woman is being treated. But I'm talking about the the the, 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 the right deal. One of the relationship we had with uh, with Southeastern about busting concerned me very much. Uh, he ended up choosing Clarence Thomas over Anita Hill. Uh, he chose the Iraq War. President Obama did not. So he's been sliding. We must make him accountable. All right. All right, Reverend Jackson, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, then. So one of the things that you, uh, Reverend Jackson, just mentioned there, first of all, uh, there were several things. He said, one, black people have not been making demands of Joe Biden. Others would disagree with that. Uh, one of the things, though, that, uh, that he talked about, which... I don't necessarily know if it is going to be effective, and that is talking about uh, Joe Biden's uh, past support uh, of busing. Look, Senator Kamala Harris tried that in the debates last year. Uh, did not necessarily go well. Here's one, here's one of the things that uh, the um, uh, Jackson folks uh, have, have, you know, have made uh, public, which we already knew. Uh, Cameron, go to my iPad. This was a letter that, of course, Joe Biden sent uh, to Jim Eastland, one of the most avowed racists uh, in the United States Senate. Uh, on June 30th, 1977. Dear Mr. Chairman, I want to thank you. I want you to know that I very much appreciate your help during this week's committee <coughs> meeting in attempting to bring my anti-busing legislation to a vote. I'm hopeful that the bill can be voted on at the next meeting, and with your assistance, I'm confident there is sufficient support for approval by the committee. Uh, here's the deal, though. That, I mean, it really boils down to um, will any of that matter to African Americans? Will any of that matter when it comes to supporting Joe Biden. I, I think what black folks have decided is we hate Trump so much, we need to beat that man that, look, looking at these two, that's the best guy who can do it. Well, well yeah. we've already had the first big test of what African-Americans demand of our uh, Democratic nominee, which was in Alabama this week with the execution of Nathaniel Woods. You just, we <laughs> just, we have all these speeches where we talk about how much we love black voters. We have all these rallies and fish fries, and they talk about, well, you know, black people are the backbone of the Democratic Party. But when Nathaniel Woods was about to be executed, we did not see any of the current presidential candidates stand up and uh, demand that the government Governor step in. We didn't hear a peep of it. We did not, if it wasn't for activists on the ground, people like Reverend Jackson, people like Martin Luther King III, uh, the family of Mr. Woods, you did not see the Democratic uh, candidates standing up to support them. So when we talk about having a demand, having some buy-in, well, if you're saying that black folks are, are my firewall, that I need 60, 70 percent of the black vote, 80 percent of the black vote in these southern states in order to win, then by all means, I expect to hear your voice to speak out on an issue such as that. Or is the buy-in, Avis, uh, elect me, and I'm going to appoint federal judges who are going to halt such executions. I'm going to appoint Supreme Court nominees uh, who are going to halt the execution. In fact, a temporary stay was issued by Judge Clarence Thomas, but then it was later lifted to allow the execution to move forward. Yeah. See, that, see this, I, I, I think that's what black voters are also saying here, and that is, look, at the end of the day, you have Donald Trump over here who plans to, if he is reelected, will end up appointing nearly 500 federal judges to the bench, and they will be in control of nearly half 
of the federal judiciary. Yep. Right now, he's already appointed 25% of all the appellate judges. <coughs> the Ninth Circuit, which is the most liberal circuit uh, in America, he is close to having a majority of the appointees on the Ninth Circuit. And so I get Robert's point, but I think Bobby was saying, yo, that, you can, make, you can bring up agenda, you can bring up every issue. The number one agenda black people are saying is, get that orange dude out. Exactly. Black people are not just voting for the next four years, we're voting for the next 40 years. So we're looking at things that have long-term intergenerational impacts like what the courts are going to look like. But in terms of what we're seeing right here with this particular race, it's a couple of things. Listen, right now, Bernie is even, as you mentioned, he's not even at viability in Florida. That's 200 delegates that Biden would get. Yeah. Game over. Okay? And at least with Biden, he has at least... He has mentioned this issue, and in, in South Carolina, in fact, he mentioned that his first appointment to the Supreme Court would be a black woman. I've yet to hear Bernie say that. I've yet to hear Bernie say black. black. <laughs> Period. Everything is people of color. Every, you know, he does not even want to say black. Or, or has to do with income equality. So, you know, how can you expect black people to be attracted to you when you do not even want to acknowledge that we exist? But, Eugene, Team Biden is saying that, first of all, they say it is incorrect that he has not pre presented uh, issues or a particular agenda. Uh, I saw someone who was saying that, well, you know, he needs to adopt uh, the uh, Douglas plan of Buttigieg mm -hmm. uh, or the Tulsa initiative of Mike Bloomberg. Uh, folks in the Biden camp say we have something that's going to be even better than the Tulsa Initiative. Uh, and so I had one guy who was like, well, I haven't heard any of these issues. And then I said, well, I asked, asked the question. I said, it's on his website. The guy was like, well, I should have to go to his website. But see, which I'm kind of like, okay, well, you can't, you can't say something doesn't exist if you haven't bothered to go to the website. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I do believe, though, I do believe that the Biden campaign has to address this in a very specific and an authoritative way, which means he has to find the setting. He has to find the organization, the event, the gathering, not in June or July. I'm now. talking about March and April, where that is laid out. Because I think what you're going to see is you're going to see Reverend Jackson uh, and some of his other black supporters they're about to start hitting Biden on that hard because they have no choice. They can't let him keep racking up massive uh, amounts of votes among black people. Yeah, the thing is this, right? Political campaigns are very, very, very short-term, very, very expensive marketing uh, ex expeditions. Mm -hmm. And uh, what Team Biden has to do is uh, kind of take a page from Team Bloomberg and really, 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 really figure out how you're going to market your black plan that the average voter knows about it and could talk about it in detail. Mm -hmm. um, people might not have liked Bloomberg, but they could tell you, hey, he's going to pour $70 billion on the black folk. The question is, you know, how does, you know, Joe Biden's team figure out how to properly communicate that so that it rolls off the tip of people's tongue and it's the first thing they think about. And that's what, I agree with you, that's what, he has to do it quickly. He cannot wait to do it. Mm -hmm. He absolutely has to do it quickly. But, 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 but here's the thing, Robert, that people still have to confront, and that is, I've heard Sanders supporters say, yeah, but Sanders has a black plan. But he doesn't. But no one has to, they still can't answer, though, with all of that, why 
are black voters not trusting Bernie Sanders? Well, a big part of this having the entire Democratic establishment be against him for the last well, that's six that's years. BS. No, no yeah. it's not BS. Yeah. He's been running for BS. president for six years. Exactly. Four of those years he ran unopposed. For the last four years, for the last four years, before the cycle ramped up, right, so let's say from 2006, December 2016 to roughly, let's say, what, what April 2000, 2019, the only person who's running for president in this country openly was Bernie Sanders. He had his, he's had his operation on revolution. He did nothing for candidates for people to build, actually build out and build relationships. In that time span, all the other candidates were running up and down the ballot to help people, to help people get elected, to help people turn out voters, to build those relationships. In 2018, Kamala was the most sought-after surrogate, the fundraiser for the Democrat Party. And so for Bernie Sanders to keep running out and saying, hey, the party is against me, the party, if, if you feel that way, it's because you have not invested the time in the party. It's because you, as a, as a person that, quote-unquote, built out this massive infrastructure, built out this massive fundraising email apparatus, built out this massive on-the-ground operation, cannot go in and get people elected, they cannot go in and become a difference maker, cannot go in and build the relationships that last. And he's the Hold only up. Democrat, and he's the only person running right now who had any say over the rules that they exactly. are running under right now. So how is it that you're the only one that had the say in the rules, and you're the one complaining about the establishment? About hey, the honey, rules. you part of the establishment because <laughs> you made the rules. Robert. So look, if you look at the platform of the Jackson 84 campaign, I'm just going to put that out there. First thing on it, Medicare for all. Next thing on, on the Jackson plan from 84, reversing tax cuts, ending the war on drugs, infrastructure investment. The, the 84 Jackson campaign, which appealed to African-American voters, is the same agenda that Bernie is running on. Wait, 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 wait. But let me go back to the 84 campaign. How many black people voted for, how many black folks voted for Reverend Jackson? The reason we know the Reverend Jackson became a national figure is because of the number of African-Americans no, who voted for no, him in the no, 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 no. Reverend Jackson became the true national figure after 88. The reality is significant numbers of black people supported Mondale. That's actually what happened there. Well, you, look, you, you had a significant number. Remember, the entire party was also against Jesse in 84 and in no, 88. No, he, he, but but he, 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 here's the point that I am making. There, there are people, who, I, mean, I saw this video clip of Eddie Glaude where he was talking about, I want to hear policy. Yeah, but Eddie Glad also tells black people not to vote oh, for Hillary Clinton. Thank you. Don't get me started. <laughs> so it's, it's like, mm. so I, I think that I think that I, I really think what's happening here is there's a, there are a lot of people who are truly overthinking this deal, and they're overthinking this deal to the point that where they're discounting who black people see as the enemy. Mm. Black people see the enemy to black people. And black people's futures, Donald Trump. But look, there's so a you can again. Let's go down the whole list. Buddha Judge, Great Marshall Plan. We can talk about Elizabeth Warren. We can talk about Harris. We can talk about Booker. We can go down the whole line. Black people are saying, "I got. Two, I really got two choices. Mm -hmm. I got Biden. I got Sanders. We hate Trump. Who do I think is going to be the person who could beat Trump?" And they're saying Biden. Numbers don't lie. I think it's a different conversation when you see these people on television and on radio and on social media and folks are trying to go through this whole deal. In fact, I'm going to try to find this tweet where somebody also said that we're overthinking this whole deal when the person said, yo, a lot of black people are also supporting Biden because he took his back seat to a black man That's for eight years. I mean, it was a hell of a tweet. Yeah. And I, I just think that sometimes we got to own up to 
that real voters are making real decisions and it's not a whole bunch of bullshit. It's really about, I like him better than him. And you also think of the differences in the timbre of the campaign. I agree with Robert that the policy agendas between the Jesse Jackson campaign and the Saunders campaign are extremely close. I mean, almost identical. But Jesse Jackson's campaign was built around hope. Keep hope alive. It was built about creating this broad coalition of people. It had a sense of bringing people together. That was the feeling that was associated with that campaign. The Saunders campaign is very exclusive. It's very hate-filled. It's very... Um, it, it, it is attacking anyone that's not in their campaign. This week, you're attacking the establishment. Next week, you're attacking billionaires. Next week, you're attacking corporate interests. Where do you actually see any evidence of them actually reaching out to anybody? It's not there. One real quick. Uh, Detroit, <laughs> Besides Detroit Free Press dropped their poll. Uh, Biden has a 24-point lead in Michigan. This is over tomorrow. Uh, and Clinton had a 25-point lead that took place uh, in uh, back in uh, 2016. Let me go to this here. Mike Bloomberg posted this tweet, y'all. This November, the stakes are too high. Go to my iPad, please. My presidential campaign is over, but I'm not about to sit on the sidelines. That's why I'm supporting Collective Future, uh, the Collective, actually the Collective PAC, in registering 500,000 black American voters in eight crucial states. This can be a game changer. He's giving them $2 million, folks. It's yep. the largest uh, donation they've actually gotten. This is the thing. I have. I said this repeatedly. Uh, that it made much more sense for, for Bloomberg not to spend 500 or $600 million running for president, but to put that money in a ground game. Uh, same thing for Tom Style, the $100 million he dropped. So basically, that's a $600 million bucks that just went up in smoke. This is going to be a ground game. Mm -hmm. This is not going to be won air wars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is going to be on the ground. There were 216,000 Sanders supporters who, vote, who voted for Trump who supported Sanders in the primary. That was more than the margin of 78,000 in those three crucial states, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Bottom line is what black groups have been saying, and we saw a 2.4% decrease of black voter turnout in 2016. The Hillary Clinton campaign did not properly fund this. I remember Donald Brazil went to them trying to get $5 million to invest in black, black folks. They said no. They were sitting on $65 million 60 days out, made her go out and raise the $2 million that was needed. That's crazy. The, the Friday before the election, they were trying to spit, throw as much money as they can at black people, but it was too late. Mm -hmm. It didn't do any of the groundwork. Here is Bloomberg saying, yo, we got to put money on the ground now, Avis, and they're funding black groups. That's they're not good. funding a Stephanie Cutter-led white group, and then they're parceling out money. No, this is an example of somebody saying, okay, black group, y'all know how to get black people? Here, I wouldn't be surprised when you look at some of the other groups out there where you're going to see that direct funding. That has been the missing ingredient, frankly, yeah. from Democrats in the past because they, the campaigns sort of just parcel stuff out. Mm -hmm. This is different. Absolutely. And, and I hope that's the first of many such uh, levels of funding because $2 million is great, but $2 million isn't enough. Uh, when you think about all of the money that's going to be spent in this campaign, over a billion, well over a billion, maybe a couple of billion will be spent just on the Democratic side. <laughs> so to give black people, in essence, $2 million is well, no, really no, 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 this is one organization. That's what I'm saying. I, I, no, I hope I, this I, is I'm, one no, 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 of no, many. I've, no. I know for a fact that, first of all, he's already said He's going to spend a billion dollars to take down Trump. Mm -hmm. This is just one organization. Yep. There are other groups they're looking to fund. This Good. Is not well, like, that means that like we need to be getting no. about at least 50 million of that.
at least. And, and remember, also Bloomberg did contribute five million dollars to Stacey Abrams' organization, yep. uh, I believe, last month in uh, in Georgia. But one one thing I will say is, let's whenever a white guy shows up for a bunch of money, just handing it out, let's be wary of what exactly his motives are, and understand that it seems as if Bloomberg is trying to set up his own separate DNC that does not have any accountability to campaign well, finance. As long as it's run by Congress, we need a different DNC. The reason I got no problem with that because, okay, Eugene's Republican. Republican Sheldon Allison, <laughs> Sheldon Allison, every four years says, I'm going to drop $250 million. The Koch, the Koch brothers, one of them is now dead. They got together with their network and said, okay, we're going to drop anywhere from one to two billion. One of the reasons, frankly, mm -hmm. Democrats have always been outgunned yes. because big money Republicans have understood. That's why I was critical. Look, Starr's a nice guy. Bloomberg's a nice guy. Big money Republicans didn't run for president. They just like, no, I'm going to sit here and fund, fund these efforts. So one of the things that Democrats needed, uh, and I've been saying this about Texas, two million eligible unregistered Latinos. You needed somebody who says, I'm going to spend $100 million to register the two million in Texas. That could completely change Texas presidential election, yeah. statewide elections, but Democrats haven't wanted to do that. And so, look, month, the re here's the reality. You're fighting a money war. But the people who say, get money out of politics, okay, let me know when that happens. In the meantime, <laughs> you're going to get your ass whooped or you can actually That's fight. Right. And, for, and the bottom line is, to me, this is what this, this fight is. Eugene, go before I go my next story. Uh, two things. I was going to say, one, I sent you the tweet that you're talking about. Secondly, um, you know, this is a dollar fight. It's a knife fight. And it's a knife fight on the ground. And, um, you know, I think what Mike is doing and what he's pledged to do is going to be great. Um, you know, it's, it's already happening. Um, you know, he, and above, above and beyond that, you know, he's taken the six most crucial battleground states and planning the, the operation, the apparatus that he built out in those states. Mm -hmm. um, look, man, at, at the end of the day, uh, it's all business. People better understand, you know, really what's going on here. And I think for a lot, look, this is about winning. This is about winning. This is a tweet. Uh, before I go to my next story real quick, uh, Fernand uh, Amandi uh, actually uh, posted this tweet. I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, this is what it says. Let me explain something to you about Joe Biden and why, um, and why some of the shit that, why, that he's done in his past doesn't matter. This old rich white man played a second fiddle to a black man. First of all, uh, Joe Biden ain't rich. First of all, if, if it wasn't for him uh, with the book deals and the speeches after becoming vice president, Joe broke his hell. Okay? Uh, but they said this old rich white man played second fiddle to a black man. Not just any black man, but a younger black man, a smart black man. Not just for one day, not one, not two, but eight years. He took his cues from this black man who had more power than him and was virtually unknown when he took the presidency, and Joe Biden had been around forever. He was willing and proud to be his wingman. Not once did he try to undermine him, this black man. Instead, Joe walked in lockstep with him. He respected him. He loved and trusted him. He was led by him, and he learned from him, and Joe did not have a problem with it. You tell me what 40-plus-year establishment white politician has ever done that. Joe Biden is cut from a different cloth, and black folks understand that, and for good reason. He has shown it. This is what showing up and being an ally looks like. When the black people say they know Joe, this is how they know. This is written by a Lori Goff. Real quick, That's Eugene, true. you agree or disagree? It's the truth. I agree. I, 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 have, I have a hotter take there. I actually think what we saw in South Carolina and on Super Tuesday, a big part of that was baked in. I think Clyburn was just the, the, the gas on the fire. Davis? Yeah, I agree. I think Clyburn was the gas on the fire there. And I think a lot of people are feeling like that. I mean, people have saw the, saw the relationship between the two for so many years, and it was a point where people are saying, yeah, this is someone who had his back, never disrespected him, 
uh, actually was someone who seemed like he... Remember all those little yep. memes that they had around the two of them? I mean, it was this sort of ingratiated feeling that yep. people have, and that's what a lot of people are tapping into. I think that if Bernie Sanders had wed himself to that Jesse Jackson 84 agenda as closely as Joe Biden wed himself to that Obama agenda, then he might be doing better with African-American voters now. Because I think most voters don't understand that the DNA of that campaign came out of the Rainbow Coalition uh, from 35 years ago. And I, I think that those are part of the reasons that Bernie has a problem with African-American voters by not articulating the African-American support and the fact that many of these agenda items do come directly from our community. And he has to see black people. To me, there are no greater patriots in America's long history than the black citizens who are willing to die for a nation that was denying them their rights. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate that has a real plan to fight for those sacrifices that have been taken for granted for far too long. And I've got to think it was in hopes that their service and sacrifice might redeem those rights for their children and grandchildren. Introducing the Greenwood Initiative, a bold new plan to help black Americans create generational wealth. One, we will help a million more black families buy a house. Two, we will double the number of black owned businesses. Three, we will help black families triple their wealth over the next 10 years to an all time high. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. They are concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020. All right, folks, this fall, Third Way, the Center for Political and Economic Studies launched a multi-round research initiative to study the attitudes, priorities, and values of black Americans as we head into major crossroads for our country in 2020. Here are the results in two different areas, how we feel about voting, how we feel about money. Joining us right now is Jessica Fulton. She's the vice president for the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies. So, Jessica, exactly what does it say? How do we feel about voting? People are very enthusiastic to vote in 2020. 40% of the people that responded to our survey, we surveyed 1,200 black folks across the country, 40% of the people said that they are more interested in voting in 2020 than they were in 2016. That's across gender, that's across age, that's across, across education level. But you know who isn't actually that excited to, or isn't as excited to vote, is people who have a weak connection, connection to the Democratic Party and people who are not Democrats. So that means that they're gonna have a really tough time getting those folks out, of, out to vote. But what, what people are largely motivated by is this anti-Trump sentiment. Literally in our focus groups, people were saying, like, we got to get this guy out of office. We got to we gotta go out. We got to... Sustain. <laughs> I, can't, I'm, I keep trying to tell y'all. I keep trying to tell y'all. Like, y'all can holler policy all you want to. Folks are saying, this man is evil. Yeah. And as a policy person, I was a little bit disappointed, but I also noticed what people were saying about um, about what their finances are looking like. In the past two years, people are not saying that anything has improved. 20% of the people are saying, you know, nothing has really gotten better in my neighborhood. Nothing has really gotten better in my personal life. And that's why Donald Trump is sending out uh, press releases saying that this is the lowest black unemployment rate, you know, in the history of us taking taking the measurements for unemployment rates. Except what he's not saying is gone up, gone up the last several months, but that's just you know, a little detail. It's gone up the last several months, and people are holding down two jobs just to make ends meet, right? So, like, even if the unemployment rate is low, if I have to have two jobs to be able to feed my family or to be able to pay my rent, then things aren't looking great for me, and I need somebody in who's, who's going to make things better. Now when, you, now, when you talk about the enthusiasm, though, last, uh, for, for 2016, the Joint Center released their study, it showed 65-plus, 
absolutely on boat. And of course, as you got younger, 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 it got lower, lower, lower. What is it saying now? Because again, Bernie Sanders keeps saying he can bring out young voters. There's no evidence of that in the primaries. Our young voters keep talking about what our numbers are. I keep arguing, look, I hear you, but if you don't get your ass out and vote, your numbers don't mean a damn thing. What are y'all showing? Yeah, it does show that um, younger voters are less likely to be more excited to vote in 2020. And I think that speaks to what the candidates are saying. Candidates have to be speaking to young black folks, and I don't think they are right now. Okay, but but also, but but here's the thing, and this is this is where this is where I think we differ on this, and this is the problem here, is that I had one guy who, who, who tweeted me that he's like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm just not inspired to vote. And I'm sitting there going, bruh. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, two things are gonna happen, okay? Trump gets reelected, Trump loses. Mm -hmm. So there's this battle and this contention with, with I need to be inspired to actually vote, and I'm sitting here going, okay, take your issue, ask yourself what the hell is your, your top three issues, and then say, where, where, where do these two people on the Democratic side stand? Where does Trump stand? If you're a young person and you say, okay, I care about student loan debt, Let's see, Betsy DeVos, uh, what she's done is they've allowed for-profit colleges to continue, and she ignored a federal court order to stop taking money from people who the judge said don't garnish their wages when it came to those loans, for the, 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 uh, that, that, that student loan debt, okay? That's, that's, that's a choice over here. Over here, you got Biden and Sanders talking about how to relieve folks of student loan debt. I'm sorry, what the hell should get excite you? One of the things that we actually found was that young folks are young black folks are really concerned with housing affordability, which is something that I have not heard any of the candidate any of the presidential candidates on either side talk about, right? And so that's one issue that I think we really need to address. And it's what's well, been talked about. Elizabeth Warren talked about it a lot, well, and other Elizabeth candidates talked about it as well. The problem the problem is, and this is the piece that I keep going back to. The problem is that when people say I haven't heard it, what they're actually saying is it hasn't come up in the debate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And the reason it doesn't come up in the debate. Because the people who are asking the questions don't have a problem when it comes to affordable housing. Okay, it came up in the last debate, but it was like that quick, mm -hmm. yeah. and there was no real discussion. Uh, I remember being at TSU, and I was telling a couple of candidates, bring the shit up. I said, y'all, there's a public housing complex, literally the CUNY homes, right across the street from Texas Southern University. I'm like, don't wait, don't wait on a moderator, but that's being part of the problem. Okay, your moderators are not bringing up those questions. So when 20 million people are watching, when people say, oh, I haven't heard about it. Well, look, a person live streaming a speech on affordable housing is not the same as 20 million watching a debate. Yep. I think that's part of the problem. Yep, I think it is. Uh, about 20% of the people that we surveyed said that they don't think that this next election is going to have a strong bearing on their life, on their life. And so, like, thinking about the candidates not bringing up affordable housing in the debates, the moderators not asking those questions, and people not thinking about things like redistricting that's going to happen under this, this next um, regime, right? Like, even if it's not at the federal level, they need to be caring about their state local elections. And what we're not seeing, there's, there's some kind of barrier there where they're it's not being communicated, the importance of this. So uh, let's do this here. Go to um, uh, the graphic here. Let me pull it up, squeeze it in here. This is what I'm talking about right here. So you have, uh, go to my iPad, you have more interested, stayed the same, less interested uh, when it came to uh, voting. If you look at it by age, folks, most interested is that orange, okay? At 55 plus, then of course you have um, less interested 
uh, is there uh, in the black. Numbers don't lie. That, that graph right here, 1834, you're seeing it. That's the largest group that are less interested uh, in voting. This is the thing that I keep, Bernie Sanders keeps saying, I can't excite them. They, have, they ain't showed up yet in March, in February or March. You know, I think black voters in general have showed up, and that's the thing that got Biden, um, got him his wins this past couple weeks. Older black voters. Older black voters. See, what I'm talking, I'm talking about mm -hmm. is that, that young number. That's, mm -hmm. that is a fundamental problem, and people keep, so, so Robert, people keep saying, okay, we got to figure out um, how to reach young voters. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to need young voters to also step the hell up. Well, what we've seen uh, historically, if you look at Rock the Vote back in the early 90s, if you remember uh, Vote or Die, um, I think back when I was in college, uh, Puff Daddy was uh, promoting, you've never seen this groundswell of young voters simply running to the polls because you don't have enough learned life experience for you to understand the issues or to get that, uh, that motivated by it. When you're 18 to 24, student loan debt hasn't really hit you yet. When you're my age, student loan debt <laughs> has hit you. And that's when you get really motivated about changing student loan debt. So you haven't been hit by housing issues or unemployment issues, you you're still in that, uh, that uh, you're still on, you know, living in your dorm room or having your first jobs. So I think the candidates have, have to do a job of explaining to these young people how these issues affect them directly and then motivating the way that Obama did in 2008, because that's the only time we've seen it actually be effective. But, but here's the deal, though, Avis. This is a cut to the chase. Obama motivated people to vote in 2008. And, and this is the thing. First of all, let's just cut to the chase. He was black and running. Okay, hey, let's just go ahead and go there. <laughs> but the second thing, and this is the, th the thing that it, it is so much deeper and nuanced that I think it's hard for people to even admit. Obama ran a campaign on hope and change. Yes. He could talk to 100,000 people in the stadium, yeah. and there would be 100,000 different interpretations on what hope and change means. Here you have a campaign where people like specifics. Okay, what's your, what's your plan on this, this? That's why Elizabeth Warren's whole deal is, I got a plan. The beauty of hope and change, it didn't have to mean nothing. Right. Like, the phrasing itself, you felt great, you all, hope, change, all right, okay, we feeling good. Now he gets elected. Then it's like, okay, what exactly is hope and change? <laughs> <laughs> and so Obama had the advantage that he never... I'm not saying he didn't have policies. Yeah. But what I'm saying is he has such this overarching theme that he did not have to actually narrow it down. Yeah. And it could mean anything for anybody, and everybody felt great. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it was just such a crisis point in our history, right? And if we keep going the way we are, we might be, unfortunately, at another crisis point uh, by the time this election hits. But, you know, when he was running, I mean, we were at the... The, the, we were teetering on a worldwide economic collapse. I mean, it was, the hope was that you would have a house. I mean, the hope was, was that you'd have a job. The hope was that the, the country was just wasn't going to fall into a depression. I mean, we were really at that point. It was a crisis moment in our history. So he, really everyone knew we needed someone in there that would correct course, that would get our economy back on the right track. Uh, and I saw, I don't think people were really talking about as wide a range of issues then because we were at 
such a crisis point in our moment. But it's interesting, the point that you're saying about the fact that he did have these big platitudes. He was a unique political talent. Um, but he also was, I think, appealing to our better angels. Right. And I, I think what's really interesting right now with the dynamic in terms of the choice that people are seeing just in this primary race between a Biden and, and a Bernie, um, you know, I think... You, honestly, Bernie is not doing that. And he has a, he's in terms of appealing to people's better angels. He is not. And if you also look at, though, he, do, he is very specific with policy choices, but he has a wide range of policy choices, which is why, you know, with the report that, that we put out with the Black Women's Roundtable, if you look at Bernie vo vo um, voters, when they are talking about the issues that they are um, mainly voting on, it's not like they're all clamoring around Medicare for all. Each person is sort of picking out that thing that's important to them. Whereas with the uh, with Biden's voters, they're all saying race, race relations. So issues of race are of critical importance to them. So it's, it's very important that uh, we realize that people are going to sort of focus on that thing that's most important to right. them. Uh, no matter who uh, is saying it, but ultimately I think people want to appeal to someone who inspires them, who appeals to their better angels, particularly at a moment where we have such evil uh, in the White House that they'll be running against come November. Jessica, uh, Trump, you're saying the economy, the economy, the economy is, is great, it's so wonderful. Y'all say one in five, say go to my iPad, one in five say their personal finances have improved the last two years, gotten better 22%, gotten worse 27%, stayed the same 50%. But here's the thing I want to talk about, real divide by gender on improved finances. Women minus 12, wow. men 4%. Donald Trump, they believe they can get 15 to 18 percent of black men. And so what what was being said, what I'm curious about, forget this number, what was being said in your focus group by black men compared to black women about the economy? One of the things that we heard quite a bit, and this was really interesting, when black women talked about what was going on in their, in their neighborhoods, they talked about what was happening to black men, and they saw that as something that... Um, they were trying to help improve economic conditions for black men in their lives, right? And when we when we talked to black men, we didn't hear that so much. But I will say that one policy change that did happen in these past few years is the First Step Act. And that's something that was largely seen as criminal justice reform that helped black men more so than it would help other folks. And the other thing, the other things that this administration has been able to pass are like the tax cut for rich people. Like, there, there haven't been other wins that have come that are really directed towards black women. But here's the piece, though, Robert. Even though the tax cuts were directed, were not directed to black men, there's a different view about from black men, especially those with businesses, than black women when it comes to those tax cuts. And so, we, we, we so there's, there, the Republic, Donald Trump is, is, is targeting like a laser. I know for a fact the White House has told me yeah. that they believe they could push that number to 20%. I had a conversation with Mark Lauder, who's on Trump's communications team, about two years ago, and I said, I, I think Donald Trump could get upwards of 30% of the black male vote in the upcoming election. Wall Street Journal, uh, NBC poll came out today, reported by Vox, uh, showing that Trump has a 24% approval rating with African-American men that has been trending upward lately. And I think part of it has to be stylistically. Uh, Democrats have ran hard on this black girl magic agenda for the last few years. Black women are the backbone of the D Democratic Party. Black women are the base of the party. Uh, they often leave out black men unless they're talking about prison. That seems to be the only issue that they know of that affect African-Americans, and our African-American men in particular. Also, the Opportunity Zones, I think, were a great, um, uh, of great interest to African-American men. Uh, in addition, if you look at some of the black, uh, black Voices for Trump events, 
Donald Trump surrounds himself with more black folks on a regular basis than many of the Democratic candidates do. Sometimes if you look at a Bernie rally, it, you don't know if you're at a, a political rally or if you're at, you know, high Or a, Trump, a Trump rally. A but Trump. but if, you, if you look at one of the black voters for Trump rallies, he's surrounded by African-American men for the most part and then a, a group of African-American women also. So I think Democrats have to find out a proper way to talk to black male voters or they do risk losing 30% of the black male vote to the uh, to the Republicans this race. Eugene, 2016, I specifically told Hillary Clinton to her face, y'all got to have some black men who are out here talking to black men about your campaign. I said that in front of her, Huma, as well as Marlon Marshall, who's an African-American man. Mm -hmm. Nothing actually happened. Because the next day I said, yo, I want a black man who's for Hillary on Tom Joyner. It took him 10 hours to get somebody. I had to book Donald <laughs> Brazil. I mean, and so, so, so again... This is a this is a real issue. Want we'll to get your thoughts on it? And, and Jessica, again, uh, what is being said in the focus groups is important. And I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tag on something after Eugene finishes. Go. I, I agree with you. And you know, my philosophy has always been that the GOP gets their act together. They don't need to win black voters. They just need a, a, a percentage, right? Yep. And that's what Team Trump's... You, know, you need a percentage of black voters and you want to suppress a, a, a larger percentage. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. And, and that's what Team Trump's uh, getting at. Um, but I do believe, I do agree with you, Team Biden, I think, look, you didn't gave free game to every candidate on, on, this, on this set, right? And look, I think one of my ideas that these folks need to take is they need to probably do a nationally televised town hall with black men talking mm -hmm. about the issues that black men deal with in this country beyond just policing, beyond, you know, criminal justice reform. You know, uh, uh, you know, business development. Uh, you know, you know, if we have opportunity zones, you know, how do you get capital to take advantage of them? Um, and that's the discussion that needs to take place. But I, but I do, I do agree with Rob, and I do agree with you that that the Democrat Party they do risk losing a percentage of black men to Team Trump um, if they don't actively, you know, engage them, as as it is with any constituency. You know, you could lose to the other side if you don't actively engage. Jessica, the reason I want to hear because a few months ago I was talking to a white pollster. Uh, white female poster, and she said when Elizabeth Warren's name came up, she heard the exact same groan from black men that she heard in 16 with Hillary. Uh, and Warren talked about, of course, misogyny, which is what she had to deal with running, as well as Senator Harris, as well as the other women who are running as well. The reason, the reason I'm saying that this is important, this race could come down to margins, okay? It was, you know, 14,000 or so in Wisconsin. Uh, it was 10,000 uh, in Michigan. Uh, it was about 40,000, in Pennsylvania. And so people might, people might say, ah, oh, look, y'all have this conversation, but, you know, look, 15, 18% of black men, no big deal. No, you're still talking about, okay, who can win a state by 5, 10, 15,000 votes? Yep, everyone matters. Mm -hmm. It's a huge deal, and I think that's why investments in making sure that we're getting voter turnout is really important. I think people, people in 2016 didn't, they discounted the voter suppression that was happening. We're going into 2020 where we have not only Russian actors, but domestic actors trying to suppress the vote via social media. And what, we just got the first, um, the first fact check, like social media post deleted. I think that was today or yesterday, right? We're, we're way behind on dealing with this, and I think we're going to have more problems. All right. Jessica, we appreciate it. Where can folks go to see the full report? Uh, it's at jointcenter.org. All right, thanks so much. Thanks. Got to go to break. We come back. Coronavirus. Stock market. Ooh, talk about having a crack moment. <laughs> You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate who understands that wealth creation and the current racial wealth gap is linked to past racism and has a plan to address the impact on black America. 
The crimes against black Americans still echo across the centuries, and no single law can wipe out that slate clean. The time has come, I think, to fully commit ourselves to acknowledging our history and righting our country's wrongs, and that's exactly what I will do as president. It's called the Greenwood Initiative. One, we will help a million more black families buy a house. Two, we will double the number of black-owned businesses. Three, we will help black families triple their wealth over the next 10 years to an all-time high. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. They are concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, the Dow fell 7.8% today. The last time that happened was October 15, 2008, and the economy was plunging in the midst of a global financial crisis. Coronavirus is affecting everything today. Today was all about uh, the oil prices as well. Now you got Donald Trump who's saying he may want to uh, give a tax break to companies who are impacted by what's going on. Conferences are being uh, canceled left and right. You got schools shutting down. What in the hell is going on? How could this really impact us financially? Joining us right now is financial advisor Rob Wilson. Rob, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, Roland. Thanks for having me. Uh, again, when you look at what's what happened with the stock market, uh, look, I mean, every time Donald Trump opens his mouth and says everything is good, it's just fine, y'all don't worry. People are like, uh, have you heard new cases that come out? I mean, this is something that I don't think people really, really understand that could be impacting us for the next several months. We're talking about billions and billions of dollars, not as large companies, but also, I keep telling people, look at the number of nonprofits who are going to have to be canceling their galas. That now is going to impact the nonprofit sector. So this is going to be impacting folks in, in all kinds of ways. Well, Roland, it's going to be doubly bad for those nonprofits because when you see the stock market get affected like this, those donations are probably going yep. to go down. There's a wealth effect. When people are flush, they feel more apt to write those checks. When the stock market goes down, uh, they don't do it. But here's the problem. When you have a, a selfish, ignorant, uneducated liar as a president, the, the market understands that they cannot believe a word that comes out of his mouth. Right. Now, early on in the administration, the market started to hang on every word and every tweet, and you would see these wild swings in the market. After a while, they just started to ignore him and just let it go. But the problem is, there was always going to be some sort of crisis during his administration with which you needed to have a leader that you could believe. And, you know, this has really shown that the emperor has no clothes because you can't believe him. And when traders and investors feel like that they can't believe, they can't get the facts, they will sell first and ask questions later. And unfortunately, that's why we're seeing all of this volatility in the market. Uh, you make that particular point, And the reality is we're actually seeing this um, where people uh, are looking at every single comment made by Trump and he's actually lying. And so what's happening is he's shutting down his own health experts who are trying to give correct information, and, and he's just uh, just just run off on his own, and they're standing there looking like, 
What the hell? And then it doesn't help when you got a brother who's a surgeon general who goes on television talking about how Donald Trump is more healthy than he is. And it's like, dude, you're less, you're 30 years younger than him. Really? Really? And so, and this is where confidence, this is the thing that people understand, why Trump being nuts is, is a problem. Because and see, here's the you thing. Want All calm. of the Republicans you even want in calm. the primaries, they predicted this. Jeb Bush called Trump a chaos candidate. The, the 2016 version of Lindsey Graham, I don't know what happened to him, but he knew that Trump should never, ever be in this office. But you know what? A lot of Republicans, they, they, they just held their nose and they voted for, for him because they wanted to get judges and because they wanted to get tax cuts. But you put somebody in the office who has no understanding of economic policies. Why would you do this massive, massive tax cut when you have record unemployment, when the stock markets was, was at its high, when interest rates were very low, oil prices were low? You did not need to do that. Now, when you need some stimulus for the economy, you, you have a lot less bullets in your gun in order to do that. Well, plus, you have plus, a real estate plus, he was guy pressuring... who wants interest rates to be zero right, because right. it helps his business. Uh, but now, you know, less lower interest rates, this is what happens when you drive them down this low. And now the Federal Reserve isn't going to have as much arrows in its quiver either. And so this is the problem when you have someone who's inexperienced, who's anti-establishment. They don't actually know how to guide the country through these crises. Well, you make that point about economically. And you're absolutely right, because, look, he's been badgering the Fed. Uh, to lower interest rates, and, and they finally, you know, t t you know, got tired of the badgering and did so. Uh, but he's right. This is a moment. So, again, so let's say he wants to inject an economic stimulus. Well, guess what? You're the one who gave up all that damn revenue with your tax cut. Now the problem is your debt is, what, $20 trillion. So what the hell? You're going to tack on five, ten million more? And then... Uh, and so uh, then you got Democrats who are going, okay, yeah, we went to White House. I'm going to clean up your damn mess. Well, it seems like Democrats always have to do that, Roland. There's only a couple of presidents who, throughout the years, who have negative stock returns during their administrations, and both of them are Republicans, Richard Nixon and George W. Bush. We may be headed that way with the Trump administration. If it gets there, there's going to be a lot more pain in the stock market to deal with. But it does seem like always Democrats have to come in and sweep up the mess. And then you have somebody like Trump who gets in office and pretends and lies and tries to tell everybody that the stock market's great and the economy's great because of what he did, when realistically all he did was take over a really good economy from what President Obama left him. Rob Wilson, we surely appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Roland. All right, folks, update on the coronavirus internationally. Here are the number of cases. Uh, 111,817. 3,893 people have died from this. Uh, 62,722 are recovering. Now, currently infected, 45,000 people. Uh, mild conditions, around 39,5,983 serious or critical. Now, in the United States, total cases, 423. Total deaths have been 19. And it's now been reported uh, a positive coronavirus uh, in 35 states, including Washington, D.C. Folks, when you talk about what's happening, there was a priest uh, here in Washington, D.C. who shook the hand of 500 parishioners. Now that church <laughs> is shut down yeah. uh, for the first time since the 1800s. Uh, also, uh, it's got to be incredible. I love Robert, all of these damn conservatives are running their miles, uh, talking trash about coronavirus. Now we find out a dumbass at CPAC. Uh, who had special access, gets infected, likely came in contact with Matt Schlapp, uh, Pence, Trump, all of them. 
Uh, and now you're going, what in the world's going on? Then you got uh, Matt Getz, of course, uh, the congressman out of Florida, who made light of coronavirus, wearing a gas mask. Uh, now he's in self-quarantine. Y'all gonna love this here. <laughs> but guess what? He's on self-quarantine, but he wrote today on Air Force One. And so did Doug. Y'all, y'all, go, 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 to, go to the iPad, please. This is a photo of Matt Getz getting on Air Force One. You... How dumb are the Trump people well, where you will allow somebody to even get on Air Force One who is now self-quarantined? Well, remember, also, uh, Doug Collins, congressman from Georgia, running against Kelly Loeffler, uh, is self-quarantining right now, uh, who is shaking President Trump's hand on the tarmac there. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz is also self-quarantining uh, right now. <laughs> from a political communications standpoint, somebody who wrote talking points for politicians for a couple decades, the Trump campaign and the RNC has handled this virus outbreak literally the worst way In fact, you possible. Mi you mi hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. You're mentioning Doug Collins. Y'all go to my iPad. This is Collins shaking hands with Trump on the tarmac. Boy, that's a self-quarantine. Robert, go ahead. <laughs> uh, th this is the worst possible way to handle a A movie president would do a better job of handling a, uh, a crisis of this nature, primarily because what you have to do is project competency, yeah. project a, an idea that this is under control, that we know what is going on, um, spread correct information. The fact that his first instinct would say that this was a, the Democrats again creating another political hoax and then you have the hundreds of thousands or millions of Trump uh, Trumpians to, who take his word of gospel who think this is just all fake news. They compared it to Russiagate. They compared it to the impeachment hoax. So when you start off from that uh, from that perspective and then you double down on it by saying many people have a mild case and can just keep going to work while the, while the health organizations are all saying no, if you have a mild case Keep your ass at home <laughs> and away from me. And I, I think it's very, very, very much important that we understand that we have to get some competency in this. You have a neurosurgeon on staff in your cabinet. Put him in charge. No, of no, 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 no. <laughs> he was on ABC. Is he than Mike he was on ABC on Sunday. Oh my God, he was awful. <laughs> and and to be truthful, I was reading one of the people, one of the posts well, he doesn't today. Specialize in the Hold on, I was reading one of the, I was reading one of the posts today though in the Washington Post or New York Times. And the reality is, okay, it ain't like, uh, first of all, he oversaw the HIV outbreak with needles in Indiana, and that was screwed up. Yeah. But the reality is, how Pence has actually been talking is how you're supposed to talk. Yeah. yeah. Bringing the experts in, having two daily briefings, doing it. Trump screws it up every time because, one, he knows nothing. And then it was embarrassing, Eugene, when he went to the CDC and, like, oh, the experts tell me, like, why did I focus on this? I'm so smart. <laughs> I'm so great. So, so a couple things here. You know, at CPAC, where, where a lot of this, this cross-contamination took place, in the morning you had his chief of staff saying, hey, this is a hoax, and turn off your TV. In the afternoon, you had a, a, a high-level CPAC attendee spreading the virus to some of the highest levels of, the, of our government, right? Um, to, to, to Trump and the way he's handled this, um, one, Carson wouldn't be good because wouldn't be good because he's not an infectious disease uh, specialist. He's a neurosurgeon. And he but, was horrible on and, ABC and was, even talking about it. The Surgeon General's horrible talking about it as well. The, the thing is this. Trump does have some of the best 
infectious disease uh, doctors around. Dr. Fauci, my dad's a doctor, and he tells me at the time when he was in med school, then one of the folk they would study from is Dr. Fauci. And so, but it doesn't but, it doesn't but help. It doesn't help if you have the person muzzled and not able to actually manage the crisis. It also doesn't help when you took over and you got rid of the Obama uh, pandemic yep. outbreak uh, unit as a part of the National and Security the Council. And again, just so people understand how stupid of a person we're dealing with. Stupid. Donald Trump is stupid. This is literally this idiot, Friday, at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, standing right next to experts. Here's this dumbass. <laughs> it's really incredible. And just from a health perspective. And by the way, NIH, what they've done, I spent time over there. Uh, and I like this stuff. You know, my uncle is a great... First, he was at MIT. He taught at MIT for, I think, like a record number of years. He was a great super genius, Dr. John Trump. I like this stuff. I really get it. People are surprised that I understand it. Every one of these doctors said, how do you know so much about this? Maybe I have a natural ability. Maybe I should have done that instead of running for president. But you know what? Uh, what they've done is very incredible. I understand that whole world. I love that world. I really do. I love that world. They should be given tremendous credit. And the whole world is relying on us. You know, I've seen what they've done back there. Uh, it's really incredible. And just from a health perspective. <laughs> That's your president. Well, what? Well, one, it, shout out to David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler for being way in the back because they weren't trying to get that corona from CPAC. <laughs> what? What the fuck? <laughs> It always has to be about him. The doctors told me. It always has to be I know so him. much about this. And maybe I should have done this instead of... <laughs> well, we all know by now. It always has to be yeah, this, about this him. Is, this is the we one do realize that. Trump that. needs to... Yeah. S-T-F-U and let the doctors just handle all the but press conferences. But he cannot do that because he yeah, does yeah. not have any discipline. He does not have any self-control. He is completely psychopathic. He does not care yeah. about people getting ill and dying, he does not care about that. The only thing that he cares about is aggrandating himself. And so he just took And how that, it makes him look. And how it makes him look. He cares about the impact on the stock market. He cares about that. Uh, he cares about the impact but he doesn't on him know. I, mean, I, I, would even argue, but, but, I would even argue that he doesn't care about that because if he cared but, about that, he would shut the hell up about but, this. But, 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 but he's hard enough and, to get the relationship But, but you say he needs to two. shut the hell up, y'all. I will say shut the fuck up, buddy. He, he, <laughs> here's one, here is his Secretary of Health and Human Services. The Secretary of Health and Human Services, who is trying to offer an expert opinion. Oh, wow. And watch this dumbass. The remaining lots are actually being tested here. Dr. Monroe's got them as of, I think, 10.30 this morning, and they have to do the quality control, and then uh, if they pass, But, but they I, think, I think, importantly, anybody right now and yesterday, anybody that needs a test gets a test. We, they're there. They have the tests. And the tests are beautiful. Anybody that needs a test gets a test. If there's a doctor that wants to test, if there's somebody coming off a ship, like the big monster ship that's out there right now, which, you know, again, that's a big decision. Do I want to bring all those people on? People would like me to do that. I don't like the idea of doing it. But anybody that needs a test can have a test. They're all set. They have them out there. In addition to that, they're making millions of more as we speak. But as of right now and yesterday, anybody that needs a test, that's the important thing. And the tests are all perfect. Like the letter, 
was perfect. The transcription was perfect, right? This was not as perfect as that, but pretty good. So, so the coronavirus test is as perfect as his call to the Ukrainian president. <laughs> like, dude, really? You, you, and, what's, and then he said, he said the letter was perfect. I, I'm assuming he's talking about his letter to Kim Jong. I, I'm just no, he's talking uh, about the Congress. Huh? I don't even know what the hell. But 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 I'm sitting here and I'm going. Then he's lying, Robert. He's absolutely lying yeah. to say, oh, if you need the test, you got it. It's a lie. I mean, it's just and the experts are. Sh- how does it feel to be an expert and you're sitting there going, dumbass? Right? They should literally have a sign so you start talking that goes dumbass and point it this way. <laughs> well, I think what the bigger issue for me is the obsequious nature of our media currently, which has taken this and turned it into a tribal issue, where now you have major media outlets who are reporting saying, well, coronavirus is, is uh, far less severe than the flu. The difference is we know what the flu is. We have vaccines for the flu. We have methods to contain it in place. When every national and international organization is saying, we have no containment on this, I we can't. don't know so, what to so, do. So the thing is, just can't. real quick, one, one point. Let's understand the first person to be diagnosed with coronavirus in North Korea, what they did was shoot them and burn the body. <laughs> so when you're saying in America that we got this under control and in Korea, in North Korea, they are burning people, then you, so, it must be an understanding. So, this real quick, the thing, real quick. The, the thing is this, right? There have been tests, good tests that could have been used a long time ago. The, the, the Trump administration went the to wait to have an American manufacturer create do the same test. Secondly, you don't have to, you know, just as a, a, a notice out there, you don't have to wait for the test. They're literally, uh, cardiologists can literally take the lung, x-ray of a lung and see if, you know, you have uh, the tracing of the coronavirus, which is much different than what the tracings of pneumonia will look like. Um, the third thing is that, um, look, you know, got to just let the, 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 the experts and the doctors do their job. You know, Dr. Fauci said on air two, two days ago, they won't have a vaccine for at least another year. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so, you know, I think, look, if federal government's going to fail you, you got to turn to the states, and a lot of the governors out there are doing a good job and, and actually taking care of their people. Yeah, but all these dumbass conservatives who say smaller government, we don't like government. Bet you like government now. <laughs> got to go to a break. We come back. More Roll Martin Unfiltered. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate that has a real plan for black youth in education. It's called the Greenwood Initiative. We'll make public college tuition free for all low-income students. We'll forgive college loans for students who were exploited by failed for-profit colleges. Mike knows investing in our teachers is investing in our children. We'll also recruit more black and Latino teachers as we did in New York City because studies show they can make all the difference. And we'll also invest much more in heavily historically black colleges and universities because many of the HBCUs are struggling. And the first step to achieving generational wealth is taken in the classroom. We'll incentivize state and localities to create financial literacy classes. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. They're concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020.
you see, I'm rocking this wet show, North Carolina A&T. I spoke, of course, there uh, last month. Uh, and so, of course, they founded in 1891. Go back to the graphic. Founded in 1891. Uh, the notable graduates, Ronald McNair, former NASA astronaut, Congressman, first of all, Jesse Jackson, former Congressman Jesse Jackson Sr. and his daddy, Jesse Jackson Sr., Junior, uh, Senior. Taz J. also graduated from there. Uh, he plays a little, a little youth group Omega. Uh, but, you know, everybody couldn't get an alpha. You want to support North Carolina A&T, please go to www.ncat.edu. That's ncat.edu. All right, y'all. Bernie Sanders releases report policy on reproductive just for black women. That's right. Reproductive uh, health services for black women. Black women are much less likely to have access to family planning resources and are 3.5 times more than likely to die in childbirth than white women. Joining me now is Dr. Victoria Dooley, a healthcare activist, and Bernie Sanders, Sanders surrogate. Uh, first and foremost, um, what makes this plan um, so significant? Is it better than what previously was introduced by Senator Harris or Senator Warren? Absolutely. It's How better. so? Um, Senator Sanders has a plan for, number one, Medicare for all. And through Medicare for all, you can make sure that all people who are pregnant have health insurance their entire lives, not just when they're important. This is better than some politicians who suggested extending Medicaid for an extra year. Well, Dr. Um, Dooley, I got to ask you this. I got to ask you this, though. I got to ask you this here. I understand that Bernie Sanders talked about Medicare for all. We yes. saw what happened, with how difficult it was to get the Affordable Care Act passed. Okay. Let's say he is not able to get Medicare for all because, frankly, the votes are not there uh, because Republicans control the Senate. How will his plan help black women if he becomes president? He will make it a law that it will be illegal for providers to discriminate against women because of race. And when you think of something about implicit bias and healthcare bias, when doctors don't believe black women, they die. So he will make it illegal for providers to discriminate against women because of their race or their religion or, or, or other factors. Um, he's also going to enact other policies that are going to reduce toxic stressors in the African-American community. Toxic stress kills. And so he has a plan to cancel all student loan debt, all of it. He's the only candidate who has a plan to cancel all student loan debt. That alone would decrease the racial wealth gap between young black people and young white people down from 12 to 1 to 5 to 1 just by that one policy, canceling all student loan but debt. But let's, 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 let's stay focused on the health plan and how it impacts uh, black women. So you talked about, uh, obviously, with, with, with Medicare for all. Uh, when, when through it, executive action, reverse all of Trump's dangerous policies. He's going to make sure that when judges get appointed, they support Roe versus Wade as law. But, but one second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. First, you mentioned executive orders and then federal judges. So when we say executive orders, you said he would sign executive orders reversing Trump's policies. What specific policies in the healthcare area? He's going to make sure that crisis pregnancy centers do not get Title X funding. Um, those are centers who um, basically they try to discourage women from getting abortions. They don't provide any sound evidence-based um, treatment. So he's going to make sure that they don't get funding. And he's going to increase funding for Planned Parenthood and other organizations that do provide sound medically-based care for women. But i got to ask you, how does he do that with executive orders when that's actually a function of Congress? Senator is going to make sure that all the cuts that Trump has passed to make it harder for women to get reproductive services that they deserve are reversed. If you want to talk about his um, policy to make 
black women, decrease black maternal mortality. He is going to increase funding for hospitals where most black women deliver. Black women deliver at a concentrated number of hospitals. And so he's going to make sure that they have the funding to hire social workers and care coordinators who follow, can follow those women through their pregnancy and make sure that they have the resources um, that they need to have a healthy pregnancy. He's going to let midwives, doulas, nurse practitioners um, practice at the full extent of their license. He has a plan to increase the amount of physicians of color. Um, when patients are cared by black doctors, black patients get better care when they are seen by black providers. So by expanding, um, he has a plan to make all HBCUs, public universities, public college tuition free. When you eliminate those financial burdens um, and barriers to people of color obtaining higher education, we can get more black doctors more black nurses. And by having more black doctors and nurses, we are therefore going to give better care to black women. Research right. is clear. When patients of color have doctors that look like them, they have better health outcomes. All he's right. Gonna, he's going to make sure that hospitals have national standards to deal with post with uh, postpartum hemorrhage. So a lot of times black women die because they bleed to death. And hospitals that are in areas where are concentrated where a majority of black women deliver, they accept a lot of Medicaid, and so they don't have the high reimbursement that they need to implement evidence-based protocols gotcha. to prevent women from hemorrhaging and dying. So he's right. going to make sure those hospitals get the funding that they need to institute evidence-based protocols to make sure that women don't bleed to death and die during pregnancy. All right. Dr. Victoria Dooley, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back. Man, uh, WNBA star Maya Moore postponed her career to fight for the release of his brother. It happened today. We'll explain next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. So a lot of y'all always asking me about some of the pocket squares that I wear. Now, I don't know. Robert don't have one on. Now, I don't particularly like the white pocket squares. I don't like even the silk ones. And so I was reading GQ magazine a number of years ago, and I saw uh, this guy who had this, this pocket square here, and it looks like a flower. Uh, this is called a shibori pocket square. This is how the Japanese manipulate the fabric to create this sort of flower effect. So I'm going to take it out and then place it in my hand so you see what it looks like. And I said, man, this is pretty cool. And so I tracked down, the. it took me a year to find a company that did it. Uh, and so uh, they basically about 47 different colors. And so I love them because, again, as men, we don't have many accessories to wear. So we don't have many options. Uh, and so this is really a pretty cool uh, pocket square. Now, what I love about this here is you saw uh, when it's uh, in, in the pocket, you know, it gives you that flower effect like that but if I wanted to also unlike other because if I flip it and turn it over it actually gives me a different type of texture and so therefore it gives me 
a different look. So there you go. So uh, if you actually want to uh, get one of these Shibori pocket squares, we have them in 47 different colors. All you got to do is go to RollingListMartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So it's RollingListMartin.com forward slash pocket squares. All you got to do is go to my website uh, and you can actually uh, get this. Now, for those of you who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club, there's a discount for you to get our pocket squares. That's why you also got to be a part of our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, and so that's what we want you to do. And so it's pretty cool. So if you want to jazz your look up, you can do that. In addition, uh, y'all see me with some of the feather pocket squares. My sister who's a designer. She actually makes these. They're all custom made. So when you also go to the website, you can also order one of the customized uh, feather pocket squares uh, right there at rollingsmartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So please do so. And of course, uh, it goes to support the show. And again, if you're a Brenda Funk fan club member, you get a discount. This is why you should join the fan club. All right, folks, WNBA star Maya Moore has uh, postponed her WNBA career for the second year to fight for the release of a man that she believes is wrongly in prison. Well, guess what? Today, a Missouri state judge, Dan Green, ordered the conviction of Jonathan Irons to be vacated. The finding was that his defense had provi that provided enough evidence to prove he was wrongfully convicted. Irons has been in prison for the last 23 years. He was sentenced to 50 years in prison in the non-fatal shooting of a homeowner during a burglary. The good news was delivered by Moore, who supported his efforts. Now, uh, the deal is the state has 15 days to request an appellate review. Uh, the attorney general has not given any comment whatsoever. If the state does not request an appellate review, then the county where this took place in Missouri has 30 days to decide whether to retry him. Avis, the fact that here's a sister who postpones her career mm -hmm. for the second year, she didn't play last year at all, announced a week or two ago that she was going to do it again until he get re gets released. That's huge. That is huge because when you think about it, a professional athlete only has a very short amount of time where their bodies can really take that level of activity. And so the fact that she would postpone her career for potentially up to, she was willing to do up to two years in her prime is huge. But it's good to see that her sacrifice has now ended up in the justice. Hopefully it'll stay this way uh, that she was seeking to get in the first place. Uh, Robert, uh, again, this guy's been there 23 years sentenced to 50 years, always said, I didn't do it. Uh, well, I think, think looking at the, the thing, Woods execution, looking at this case, it really does push the need for full-scale criminal justice reform. And I love what our uh, what our, af our athletes are doing. We have to concentrate more than just on Kaepernick. You have the uh, the players' uh, organization founded by Michael Jenkins, uh, Anquan Bolden, who are doing great work in uh, in criminal justice reform space. We have to really key in on this on the state level because uh, there's only so much that the federal government can do when it comes to these issues. We get very excited for presidential elections. But guess what? Your city council, your county well, commission first of all, can do more. Federal level only only ten percent mm -hmm. of prisons on the federal level. Yeah, ninety percent on the state and local. Level. Yeah, so mm -hmm. state and local level. You know, things like in custody voting for uh, for inmates in yeah. county in uh, county jails who have not been convicted of a felony. Or how you about you? How about unanimous death penalty verdicts? Louisiana changed but, theirs. The guy, Nathaniel Woods, it was 10-2. It was not a unanimous verdict. Yeah. Well, and not just on that, let's understand, we have to be pushing for state-by-state state repeal of the death 
penalty completely. Absolutely. It is an antiquated, inhumane system. If we want to talk about you know, biblical law going forward, then that's something which I, I don't think any Christian can get behind. And it was good seeing some Christian organizations being against the execution of Nathaniel Woods. But we have to get more involved on the state and local level. Trump is an animating aspect of American politics. Don't forget about what actually hits you on a daily basis. Um, Eugene, uh, again, it was interesting here. Uh, according to the New York Times story, uh, he was prosecuted for burglarizing a home. Yet the d decision by the judge today all, was all based on um, fingerprint evidence that said that there was a, quote, the fingerprints found inside a door that would have been used to exit the house did not belong to iron or to the crime victims, to the crime victims that was never even brought up in the trial. Yeah, uh, I mean... So the occult pro prosecutor withheld it. Prosecutor withheld it. Pros I mean, and look, we see dirty prosecutors across the country every day. Um, you know, one of the things I think that could be a demand on whatever the next administration is, is that, you know, while a lot of these cases, about, you know, 90, 95 percent of these cases are on the state level, one of the things the federal government could do is create a new unit that's fully funded at a way only the federal government can do to review every single case from the last 40, 30, 30 to 40 years. That, that's happened at every level of government. That's something the federal government, Department of Justice, can do and present findings uh, uh, where there's been prosecutorial, prosecutorial misjustice carriage, um, where, where there have been, where, where folk, you know, are currently sitting in jail and shouldn't be sitting in jail. That's something where, you know, you know, the feds may not be able to make an actual decision on it, but they can provide the resource, provide the talent, and provide the execution to lead to to more, you know, situations like this, where, you know, you had a guy that lost, you know, think about this. When he went in, there was no active use of the Internet widespread. Now he got to learn how to, you know, his entire Walkman camera, you know, everything is now fits on an iPhone. Right. That's the type of lost time that these people are losing that, you know, when, when they're sitting in jail for these, you know, amounts of time. Well, unfortunately, a lot of these states also do not provi provide for uh, what I dare say is proper compensation uh, for folks who have been impacted by this as well. Uh, just got an email here, some breaking news here. Henry, go to my iPad. Uh, Derek Mitchell was one of the uh, TSU Board of Regents, uh, Texas Southern University Board of Regents, who was voted against the firing of the president, Dr. Austin Lane. He has submitted his resignation uh, to uh, Governor Abbott in Texas. His letter, I just got this email this morning. I delivered my letter of resignation from the Board of Regents of Texas Southern University to Governor Greg Abbott. The decision was a difficult one, but necessary. Over the past few months, I have found myself at several crossroads, which forced me to either make decisions which were popular to a certain group or do the right thing. I chose a path of resistance and stood alone in defense of what was right. My heart is full of fond memories of the work that was accomplished on behalf of the students of Texas Southern University, and my conscience is clear. Texas Southern University has had my full commitment as a board member for five years, and I am confident my efforts were not in vain. The good news is my exit gives the governor an opportunity to honor the students, alumni, and Houston community's request to appoint regents who are undergraduate alumni and have the university's best interest. I encourage you all to press forward and work toward greatness for TSU. I wish the Tiger family well again. So that was actually one of the courageous uh, TSU board members uh, who is now stepping aside. Unfortunately, they're left with, frankly, some of the sorriest people uh, who chose to uh, fire Dr. Austin Lane and pay him nearly $900,000 when he did nothing wrong. All right, folks, talk about doing nothing wrong. We see videos all the time. They always catch our eye. Oh, but we saw this video of this one little young boy who just giving it to the security, okay? They said that he was stealing something. Then... They searched him, and he didn't. Little man, 
Let they ass have it. Y'all go enjoy this. Press play. All, all these police officers think I was stealing. Look at him. Look at him. Look how dumb he look. Look. Look at him. I want all y'all badge number two. I swear to God, I'm not playing. Look at him. Look how dumb they look. How dumb you look. How dumb you feel. I ain't had nothing on me, did I? <laughs> Crazy. Feeling so stupid. Look at, look at him. Look at him. Look at him. Man, I thought I was stealing. Look at this man. Over here look like the man off of, uh... Bro, but stop playing with me, bro. They thought I was stealing. Now they feeling stupid. Nigga, because they caught D'Anthony with all this stuff. Nigga, I ain't caught, caught me with nothing. I ain't had nothing. I want your badge number. What's your badge number? Jamin. Yup. Bro, hey, can I... No, can, 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 hey, can I get your badge number? Huh? No, can I... Bro, don't, bro, don't put your hands... Hey, bro, don't put your hands on me, bro. Look, y'all see it, right? Don't put your hands on me. Can you get your hands off me, bro? Are you going to stand up again? No, I ain't going to stand up. Get your hands off me. I want your badge number, too. My mom, I want your badge number. I want your badge number because your badge number is about ready to pop off your fat ass. I want every one of y'all badge number. I promise you, I want every single one of y'all badge number. Y'all think out, bro. Ooh, y'all so lucky. And, bro, if y'all took these badges off, I'll fire on all the right now, bro. Look at him. Look how dumb he look. You look, look, look at him, look at him, get my bag, get my bag, get my bag, look at him, look at him, y'all, look at him, thought I was still a goofy, goofy, looking dumb, stop playing with me, looking dumb, stop playing, I ain't had nothing in my bag, you sound crazy, pocket full of money, not how dumb do you look, not, look at him, say hello to the live, sir, here, look how dumb you look, y'all, look how dumb you look, looking stupider than, look stupid just dumb you look pitiful you look pitiful you look pitiful because you think me and my mans were stealing you look pitiful pitiful look at you look you look so stupid do you believe how dumb you look right now you look so dumb <laughs> you look so stupid <laughs> this is crazy you look dumb all right, y'all heard the beeping. My man used the N-word a number of times. I don't allow that on my show. That's what the beeping was. But damn that, I was using that video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I saw when Taco Max reshared it. And, and, and so, I, I mean, I look, train the kids so they know what to do in a situation like this. Got kid was smart, and he knew he was in the right. Um, and, uh, you, know, you know, more power to him. <laughs> this why I ain't got kids. <laughs> <laughs> I was raised in a, uh, on the one hand, my dad was a Southern Baptist, born in 1932. On the other hand, my mom was a, a very devout Caribbean Catholic. So oh, I'm just Jesus. imagining me saying any portion of those in words, and uh, the cops would have been holding my mom off me. That would, been, <laughs> would have been the issue. Uh, so yes, the police officers were absolutely in the wrong. I'm glad the young, uh, young man had been trained to uh, get badge numbers to record the yep. incidents. Um, but I've seen more people who were in the right take ass whooping by cops for talking their way into such. So my only additional advice would be um, record, ask for badge numbers, try not to berate officers on camera. Just uh, it, it, You're not going to get justice on the side of the road. Damn that. I was, I'm straight with it, Avis. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, and I think that little boy has a career in comedy. I thought yeah. it was quite entertaining. And, you know, with all of the injustices that we do see, it's good to see somebody actually win in that moment. So good for him.
Look, little man was giving them hell. Somebody has to do it. Yeah. All right, y'all. Uh, we have had this debate numerous times over the years. This weekend, Bakari Sellers ignited this thing further when he sent this tweet out on social media. <laughs> uh, when he said, we had a minor crisis in the Sellers uh, household this morning. Uh, he said, uh, I can't see the, uh, uh, is it Eben? I can't see it. Uh, cooked grits uh, for breakfast. And there was no sugar in the entire house. Now, that led to, if there's one thing you see on social media, you got a huge battle between, you got these people who say, you don't put sugar on grits, that's creamy wheat oatmeal. I'm straight up hashtag team sugar on grits. I don't give a damn what y'all think. Mm -hmm. All y'all can go to hell if you don't like it. Your ass ain't paid for them grits. You ain't fixed the grits. And that's what I'm going to do. And you got this other group. Oh, no, you put salt and you put other stuff on it. Hey, but I don't want no salty-ass oh, grits. hell to the no. I mean, I'm from the South. We put sugar on grits. But then you got all the people from the South like, oh, my God, we don't do that. I mean, I this this thing went on for like from. 48 hours on social media. In <laughs> fact, uh, here was Jamel Hill. This was what she responded uh, to the whole deal. Uh, on the show, Malcolm X didn't dip his head in the toilet to ease the burn from his fresh conch for you to be putting sugar on grits. <laughs> oh, God. I think it's very clear that there's a correlation between people who put sugar in, in grits and who gets coronavirus. Let's <laughs> understand that grits were invented for the, the express purpose of carrying salt, butter, cheese, and little chopped up pieces of bacon. That's what grits exist for. That's the only portion, reason for having that in nature. First of all, hold on, hold on. Say, say it again. What would you say? You can put salt, butter, cheese, bacon. Then you lay down for a nice dog. Dog, noon. Dog, that's pizza. <laughs> Look, you the one trying to... Damn, you describing pizza. You want a bowl of pancake batter or whatever it is with a heavenly <laughs> put cheese. I've never even had a sugar grit. I don't even... I don't, don't comprehend the concept of, or idea you behind that. First of all, let me tell you something. I don't need no damn cheese in no damn grits. Keep that bullshit out, okay? I can't stand... I cannot stand they putting cheese. Leave grits the hell alone. If your ass wants some cheese in, give it to them on the damn side. Uh, look, this whole thing is every part of me being a diabetic, but sugar and grits is amazing. But you gotta add some cheese. Oh, Jesus. You gotta add some no, cheese. No, you don't. Cheese add some and cheese. Sugar Let me sugar tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. There's, this a, waffle, you're a, there's a waffle house. <laughs> there's a waffle house about 15 minutes from me. Like your I, ass not a I, conservative. I, 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 oh, listen, Roberts, whatever the check is clearing for that day. Oh. <laughs> Damn. Oh. <laughs> but 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 there's a Waffle House about 15 minutes from me. Whenever I get my order to go, I would make sure I say, listen, I need a little bit of cheese added to the grits. Mm -mm. Well, see, first mm. you get a to-go order from Waffle House, which means you did not watch them make it. Oh, no, which means you still watch them make it. You gotta watch the people at Waffle House make it. First of all, you, first of all, I don't know why the hell you're going to Waffle House if all them black people got turned away as well. I don't go to no damn Waffle House. I'm just telling you right now. I don't care. I don't give a damn if none of y'all agree <laughs> when it comes. It's my grits. I'm going to put what the hell I want on my grits. I ain't asking none of y'all for permission, and none of y'all paying for it. It's simple as that. Like, I don't get... And then this whole deal, oh, you can't be from the South. I'm in Texas. I don't give a damn you in South Carolina, North Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama. If I go to any one of them states, my ass order some grits, your ass better bring some sugar packets. <laughs> 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 I'm just letting you know. I do not care. I don't care. My mama may not want some sugar on some grits. It's going to be some sugar on that table. I'm just letting y'all know. Simple as that. So try me. Can we get Mama Martin opinion on this? Shit don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> opinion don't matter. 
So do you put sugar in your rice? Like, what other things do you oddly put sugar in that, that don't belong there? If I my black sugar. ass feel like putting some sugar on some rice, <laughs> it's gonna be some sugar on that damn Absolutely. rice. Absolutely. Sugar and milk you put in rice. See, I don't put, I don't put no damn milk. I ain't that, that's serious. That's why I eat everybody But I don't put, no. <laughs> but you ain't got to eat anybody's house. You eat whatever the hell it you want to eat. It means it's more for me, damn You it. eat whatever the hell you want to eat, but I'm telling you right now, I'm going to put some sugar on the grits. I don't care what none of y'all think, and it's not going to be some cheese grits. If you oh, tell man. me you got some cheese in the grits, damn it, I'm not eating grits. I can't stand, uh-uh, no. No. Not if they got cheese and sugar? Hell No. That, which part of I ain't eating no damn cheese and grits you don't understand? So do you put do you put sugar on mac and cheese? Where no, does cheese no, and sugar go together? Not at, at all, not at all. But but it works. No, no, it doesn't. It, it works. It does not work at all. It works. <laughs> well, but no, that 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 didn't work. But I but I am gonna sit here, uh play, let me try to find it. Uh I was sitting here um uh tweeting earlier. Do y'all have it? Y'all had that uh, let me see, hold up. Um let me see here, hold up. Let me see if I y'all don't have a clip. Uh, uh, Cheryl uh, Miller, the great basketball player. Oh, my God, y'all. Cheryl Mir Miller. I think I sent it to y'all. Let me see if I can try to find it. They were discussing this on ESPN. And, my Lord, this child here, I can't even... Y'all, she said something she put in spaghetti. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Just go my iPad. Go on, go on. Swirling around the Internet. Okay. Putting sugar in your grits. Starting with you, Cheryl. Is that a soft move or a boss move? Oh, soft move. H to the no. You got to put some strawberry jam in that bad boy. Lots of Ooh. butter. But sugar? Sugar and cereal. Not in grits. <laughs> strawberry jam? Strawberry oh, jam? Yeah. Strawberry jam? Hey, preserve. Hey, and then sop it up with some biscuits <laughs> or bread if you haven't gone to the supermarket and you gotta throw down some heavy bacon. Cheryl, <laughs> true or false, you told our producers that you put mayonnaise in your grits. Oh, absolutely. Not, not in my grits, in spaghetti. Oh, you know, you, wait, what? No, no, Whoa. in spaghetti. What? You, mayonnaise you, just, in you spaghetti? just take a little dip, kind of like soften it up and everything else. Oh, with some garlic toast. That is nasty. Yeah. There is a controversy swirling around the internet. Okay. Putting sugar in your grits. Starting with you, Sean. <laughs> oh, no. It was her ass saying mayonnaise and spaghetti. That's I, what I'm wondering. I'm done. I, I ain't... Let me tell you something. If you even come near me with some mayonnaise, if you thought undercover brother... <laughs> <laughs> ...reacted like a fool, <sighs> I can't even tell... Now listen, I, I love mayonnaise on sandwiches, but when it comes to spaghetti... Stop. Yes, sir. <laughs> See? Listen, you can't have a good hoagie without stop. mayonnaise. Stop. Right there. Hey, Robert, uh, ain't no doubt. Uh, his ass a black Republican. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or he might be one of the Russian. No, players. his ass a <laughs> black <laughs> Republican. You cannot have said, a good hoagie without mayonnaise. He just mayonnaise. said mayonnaise. Let me tell y'all something. That's a good sandwich. You can't even bring mayonnaise in my house. Yeah, why would you have mayonnaise when Kraft sandwich spread exists? Why? On a good I, hoagie, you cannot have. I feel like we need to convene a council of our elders. Of, no, of, no, no, no. The black, the black, the black, the black <laughs> elders will tell you. 
Mayonnaise is absolutely against cold. We we need all ma ma mayonnaise. Oh, we are does, the cold. Mayonnaise does not. <laughs> mayonnaise does not. Mayonnaise has never been a part of the civil rights movement. <laughs> <laughs> Well, nobody no lunch counter from mayonnaise. Right, no, right. When, when the black people were trying to sit at lunch counters, when, when them four North Carolina A&T freshmen sat at lunch counter, on that counter was damn ketchup and mustard. Not no Dijon mustard, that golden-ass mustard. It was not mayonnaise <laughs> on that damn counter. And there was some sugar on that counter for the grits. As I said, <laughs> we need to convene the Council of Elders. We need all of our, you know, our silver citizens who were born before 1940 <laughs> to put out some recipes, to put out some regulations, to let nope. us know exactly what it... Because I don't think anybody was sitting at a lunch counter putting sugar in their grits getting bit by no dogs. Uh, let me, say, let me <laughs> say right here. Uh, Deidre Manigault, Roland must be Miracle Whip person. Hell no, Miracle Whip ain't Ain't nothing but mayonnaise like. I can't stand a Miracle Whip either. I'm telling right now, put some mayonnaise on my um, um, on a hamburger I order. I'm gonna cuss your ass out. I'm just straight up right now. I can't stand. I, ooh, y'all don't have no. Ooh. <laughs> now, ooh, you don't understand. Now, ooh, what, what you don't understand. What about understand. a nice what about a nice garlic aioli made with a little little basil in it? That's how you know Robert ones. got money. Yeah, he, he, he's, <laughs> a little, he's, he's a little chef. It's, you should see his no, Facebook it's, page. It's, 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 it's aioli. It's kind of like mayonnaise, but it's a un, I'll tell you after the show. It's different. Yeah, he cooks. Okay, when your ass say some <laughs> stupid shit to me like, it's kind of like mayonnaise, uh, well, I'm not eating that bullshit either, Robert. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm trying to understand which part of it. Like, first of all, which part, where are you Negroes from? Both of y'all, because obviously what, I, 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 I don't, I don't, ooh. What about some nice cute pie, Jeff? So Roland don't eat oh potatoes. Oh, my God. So Roland don't eat potato salad. Hell no, I don't eat potato salad. So we got to check Roland Black. No, hell, no, no, no we don't. I ain't you don't eat potato salad. God damn it, I hate potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't eating them damn potato salad. Come on, bro, we got to no. check. Roland don't like potato salad. No, no, no. I ain't, no. You ain't got to take nothing. First of all, your ass want mayonnaise on a hoagie. Yes, You can't snatch nobody black car. You have no snatching privileges. Because you're no longer in the black group. You're on the other no, side. No, 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 you no. have been traded. You have been traded. You know Listen, we can, we, can, we can settle this to the game space. You know what no, I'm going to After the show, I'm going to call up Michael Twitty, who wrote the definitive book on slave cooking. Uh, book, Jackie can call Michael Twitty. <laughs> Jackie, well, I have Michael we, Twitty right here on this show. Jackie Clark can call, call Michael Twitty. All I'm saying right now, I'm just letting y'all know right now. Put mayonnaise on my sandwich, I'm telling you right now, it's gonna be a flashback to the Black Panthers walking in the state capitol in Sacramento. All I'm saying, don't come <laughs> no, don't put no damn mayonnaise on my hand. I'm just letting you know right now, Girl, ain't gonna happen. Garlic coyote. Ain't gonna happen. Y'all, you can keep your mind. Ain't no damn, damn sprouts on damn by no avocado. Some bean sprouts. Right there. See? Microgreens. See? Microgreens. That's Esquire and Robert Patillo's second Esquire is coming out. We know We know Robert didn't go to HBCU or he did not hang out with the black people at the PWI. All right, y'all, I got to go. I'm going to see y'all tomorrow. Uh, don't forget to support us at rollerbartunderfilter.com by going to uh, the site. Every dollar you give goes to support this show so you can join our Bring the Fuck fan club, Square, PayPal, as well as Cash App. We support uh, all that y'all do. If you're watching on YouTube right now, y'all can also support what we do. Uh, we got uh, more than 1,600 people watching, so y'all can give right there as well. Uh, don't forget our school of the day with North Carolina A&T. Support them as well. All right, y'all, we got to go. I will see y'all uh, tomorrow. Uh, we'll be always bringing the funk. We'll give a preview of six states going to the polls tomorrow. Don't forget, if you're in those states, Michigan uh, is one of them. Mississippi is another one. Uh, go to the polls. Vote. Make 
your vote heard. I got to go. Holla! Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from undercover tourists. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from undercover tourists and authorized seller and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with undercover tourists now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.